less than two weeks ago, uh, Monday will be two weeks, uh, we as a church felt compelled to, uh, man, it's going to be tough doing this three times today, um, felt compelled to uh, go and be the hope of the world to a group of people that were being persecuted in Iraq. Some thought we were crazy. Um, we probably are. Um, but with Jesus, you can do some crazy things. And uh, we felt that this was the time for the church to be the hope of the world. Um, if not us, then who? We felt compelled that this was a Kairos moment, those carpo Kairos moments that God kind of sets up and says, you must act and you must act quickly. And so God compelled the men behind me individually after a Sunday morning when I shared the vision that God had laid on our hearts here at Grace. And each man felt compelled in one form or fashion. He volunteered to go and to be the first group in, to be, as the Old Testament would call, the spies in the land, the Joshua and Caleb's, to look at the land that God had already given us, that God had already sent and said, this is your land, go and be the light. And in the case of Joshua and Caleb, 12 went in and 10 came back and said, we can't take that land. But two men said, we certainly can. And so we as ambassadors of Grace Community Church carry the same DNA, the same faith, the same hope that you did. And we went into the land and we spied out the land. And we have a good report today. And our report is... It's time to continue to be the church in Iraq. It's time to continue to take the hope to the world. I'd like to introduce to you uh, your own, uh, your teammates um, who represent uh, some families, uh, some, some wives and children who also went with us in our hearts, who stayed behind and supported and carried our arms up in prayer. But this is a great team, uh, as you are. And uh, on our team, we have Emery Kirk and Andrew Rumfeld and Sam Armington and Jeff Tensley and um, David Penyon and Brian Schropp and Ted Rondo. So our hope today is this, to give you a report of the land that we believe God says, go and take it. Go and take the light of Jesus and love on those who need hope and help. So today, you'll hear stories. It's going to be difficult for us to summarize nine days in Iraq, but we'll do our best, and there'll be moments where we might have our emotion up the top of our mouths because we smelled the smells, we felt the pain, and we touched our brothers and sisters. So we'll give a report, uh, we'll give you a snapshot of videos, of pictures that we took, and then will cast some vision because we don't believe the work is finished. We believe the work will continue, but it will require us to do that. So we're glad to be back. We felt your support. We felt your prayers. We thank you for standing with us as we traveled through Iraq. So Emrick, I'll begin with you. Um, what was a story, a moment that... Uh, struck you, that stuck out, that you would like to, to kind of share from your heart today to our people? Well, it's, it's almost impossible to come up with one story, um, but there's so many moments. Um, one of the people we had a chance to meet over there was Insef. She was a, a Canadian citizen and an Iraqi citizen, and she was kind of our a liaison, a translator, and she's just an absolutely dear sister in Christ. I mean, I called her Aunt Incef by the end of it, because that's just what she was like with us. She was family with us almost immediately. And uh, she was also kind of a security nightmare. I mean, we went over there, um, and even though we were walking under the grace of God, we really did walk wisely as a group. We met beforehand, and we 
we checked each other and we had each other's backs and we, we had a swim buddy, a battle buddy who we were with, who we were always checking in with. And we were very, we were very cautious of where we were looking around and, and she wasn't. She just wanted to talk to people and minister to people and drink tea with people. So we would be looking around at, at everyone and saying, well, where's Inseth at? And sure enough, she's talking to somebody and having tea with them. She's like, hey, there's a family here. And we're like, Inseth, there's lots of families everywhere. We need to move, you know. And, but... She was just a dear, compassionate woman. And I remember one time we were having breakfast and uh, the Iraqis, they don't just, they don't show their emotion in their culture. You know, there's kind of a, hey, we're, you know, we're strong people, you know, and they take pride in that. And she was just sharing with us that, you know, my country has been torn by, by war for so many years. There was a Iran-Iraq war and, and then there's what Saddam did and then there was Desert Storm and Desert Freedom. And, and then now ISIS has come in. And she just started to weep. And she said, so many people have lost loved ones during these conflicts. And I remember we asked her, we said, Insef, did you lose a loved one during some of these conflicts? And she kind of looked down and she held her head in her hands. And she looked up and she said, I lost my country. You know, I lost my country. And, you know, as Americans, we love our country. You know, and, and, and here's a woman who dearly loves her country, and she's just watched it just be torn apart by all of these conflicts. And that was just the heart of the people. They've, they've lost so much, you know, and they, they look forward, and they're like, what's going to happen, you know? And it was just really a wonderful thing to be able to, to minister to them and tell them, you know, it says in Scripture that good news from a distant land is like a, a cup of cold water, you know, to the soul. And that's what we were doing. We were coming from a distant land and we were saying, we love you. We care about you. You're important to us. We want to minister to you. We want to help you. And I think that meant more to those people that we touched than, than we even know when we went over there. So, Obviously, we all have uh, uh, moments that were uh, deeply impacted us. We also bonded as a team um, when you walk together and you cover each other's backs, there's a deep brotherhood that takes place. And uh, uh, everywhere we went, we were covering each other's backs. And along the way, we saw things that knew, we knew that God was covering our back too. But every story that you hear today involves a relationship, a person. And God has called us to the nations to take the gospel to the nations And in many ways, that's what we were doing. Each morning we would rise, we would pray a prayer. And most of us, all of us, have memorized that verse here on this team, and many in this room have. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Whether I turn to my left or my right, my ears will hear a voice behind me saying, This is the way, walk in it. And so each day we would arise, and we would pray that verse, God, lead us, guide us, take us to the people that you want us to go to. So, Andy, you had those moments. Every one of us had those moments. What were one of, was one of those moments that stuck out for you? Well, I saw how this went the last service, so I brought some notes this time. Um, I think one of the things that impacted me the most was, was this verse, which I've read for years. And it kind of made sense, but it was never clearer than... Then when we stepped off the airplane and got on the ground there, when we had boots on the ground, and it's Ephesians 6, 12, and Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let that sink in for a minute. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that was just the clearest picture I have ever seen. We stepped off the, off the airplane and walked out of the airport, and it's just blackness. And that's just how it felt. I mean, it's a dark, dark place. Um, they had their Muslim prayers just broadcast all over the city from all the mosques. And it was loud and obnoxious, and it was just, you could just feel the oppression. And then here we are. And I could feel the prayers of the church and the strength that that gave us. It's unbelievable. We showed up with no agenda. I mean, we had 
two contacts that we were going to talk to, and that was it. And it was amazing how God filled our days. Just We didn't know which, I mean, we were busy from sunup to sundown. So I guess I've just, I've never seen that scripture played out in such a, such a tangible way. Um, and just the bright light that we got to be in it, in such a dark place it was really an, really an awesome, awesome experience. I want to thank you for that. Ted, uh, you've been all over the world, bud. You've, uh, one year you went to Africa 18 times. Um, God has given you a journey um, to lead short-term missions trips, probably 100 plus. And you've seen all kinds of darkness. You've been in all kinds of countries. You've studied missionology. You've got a master of divinity that studied the mission route. Um, you, you have talked with people all over the world, and you've said in conference after conference. And, but there was a phrase, something that stuck out to you that you spoke with us while we were on this trip. And, and that phrase really captured what we experienced and saw and, and even the unreached people groups that we're ministering to. And why don't you share a little bit about that? Well, yeah, as you said, I've been a student of uh, missions for over two decades and in, uh, in the study of what God's doing to redeem the nations and build his kingdom, the uh, you know, people smarter than me, thinkers of the world, have uh, gathered together and evaluated all the different people groups, all the different language groups of the world, and they've labeled certain areas of the world, certain people groups of the world as unreached. And they're unreached for a reason, they're, they're either in difficult places to get to, remote, or they are unreached because they are hard, cold, closed to the gospel. And I think all of us have uh, understood enough about uh, the Muslim world to recognize that uh, that is one of the largest unreached areas of the world. And uh, here we are, you know, in Iraq in the shadow of ISIS, who are the evilest expression of Islam that has ever existed in the face of the earth in all of history. Local, local Iraqi Muslims called them demonic, crazy demonic, satanic. And so here we are in the shadow of that, and... Uh, you know, again, as a student of missions, this is just a, an amazing place for me to be, an incredible time in our history for, for me to participate. And I recalled a, a quote from a, a missions thinker, writer, at a conference that I went to, and, and he said this. this. This was probably 10 years ago that he said this. Not until we cultivate the soil of the Islamic world... With the blood of our sons and daughters, will we see the cause of Christ advance in this region? Let that sink in for a minute. This is a terrible scourge of, of dark, dark evil that's unfolding there. It's, it's you that ISIS wants to destroy. It's the cause of Christ that you represent, that ISIS wants to annihilate in Iraq, among the Christians there, in the world, in America. And it's not until our own commitment, our own steadfast resolve to be willing to sacrifice ourselves Will we turn the tide on it? And let me tell you, we'll watch that tide turn. Uh, we have shed blood of our sons and daughters, uh, soldiers. We, we heard stories of Iraqi and Kurdish and Yazidi Christians who've lost loved ones and shed blood on that soil. And the irony of the fact that ISIS is trying to sweep across the land to crush Christianity. The irony of the fact that in, this, in the face of that, the opportunity to spread the gospel is flourishing. 
Yeah. We met, we met people who three weeks ago, four weeks ago, would not have given us the time of day as Americans, as Christians. Uh, people groups who are closed, hard, cold to the gospel. But because of this darkness, this evil that ISIS is perpetrating on them, those very people were running to us, flocking to us to hear about Jesus and to hear the gospel. It's an amazing time that we live in. Paul, in Ephesians 4, says, uh, Be very careful, because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. And this was one of those opportunities God's giving us. We landed uh, in Urbu. I'll show you a map of where we spent our time. And if you look at Urbu in the northern section of Iraq, just north of Baghdad, um, it's a city that's pretty developed. It's a city that um, the Kurds want to remain established. On the outskirts of this city, uh, we saw them face-to-face, our bunkers, hundreds and hundreds of bunkers, our trenches that have been dug for soldiers to stand in to protect the city. We spent the majority of our time there. We also traveled and spent time going north of Erbil to the city of Dehuk, and we traveled through the war zone. And at each checkpoint along the way, there were um, soldiers standing in checking you to see what's in your vehicle, to see who's in your vehicle, and to see the purpose of your visit. And so as we stopped at each checkpoint, the primary reason that we got through was the prayers of the saints and God literally getting us through. But we were able to use two words. And if we said these two words in this country that's very dark, then they waved us through. And so as we came to checkpoints, our antennas are full of alert. We're watching, we're, we're being very careful. If we said that we were American or Christian, they waved us through. Let me just say this. I want to say thank you to every vet who has ever served. And here's why. Had you not gone and and offered freedom to these people, had you not gone and served, then we would never be able to take the gospel to the nations. You see, they love Americans, the Kurds, because they know that Americans have come to give them freedom. And so because you went before us, we were able to come after you and take the gospel to the nations. And we praise God for that. Sam, for you, I mean, there's many journeys, many experiences, many stories. What's one that stuck out for you? Well, after first service, my wife said, quit looking down, your bald spot's showing. So (laughs) I'm going to try to look up a little bit more this time. You're among friends, Sam. Still have. Yeah, that's true. Um, I shared one story first service. I hate to repeat myself, so I'm going to give this service a, a different story. So you missed out on the first one. It's probably better than this one. At any rate, this group has bonded very well. Um, it's no accident that God brought us together. I sit out there every Sunday. I've had the privilege of doing a few things with Jim in in the past and getting to know him better. Uh, This was a great opportunity to get to know these guys better. So I want to preface this story only with saying to you that the leadership in this church is outstanding. And we see Jim every Sunday, but we don't see Ted every Sunday. 
The respect I have for Ted is monumental. I watched him in a variety of situations this week, and I don't know if I've seen a man handle himself with more love and grace, with more wisdom than what Ted did. I was just amazed. Here I thought he was just a biker. He's, he's, he's much, much, much more than that. Our church is very blessed to have him. We're also blessed to have a pastor who is a good role model and not only preaches on Sunday, but actually lives it every day of the week. And one of the things that we did was what we called a prayer walk, which I thought was ridiculous, but... You know, that's why I'm not the pastor of Grace Community <laughs> Church. We, we love you anyway, Sam. <laughs> and we didn't have really any plan that day, so it was, well, we're just going to walk around town and pray. Well, for my personality, that's like stick a pin in me every five minutes. But I would thought I would be a good sport and go along because I'm in Iraq. What am I going to do? <laughs> So we started out walking and kind of praying to yourself as you go along. And they said, you know, use little things like maybe a sign or if you see a pop can, pray for the person that drank that can of pop or, you know, whatever thing triggers it, do it. And a few guys spoke up and I'm kind of walking around thinking, all right, you know, this is great. Uh, We're into this 15 minutes and it seems like two hours right now. But... We walked down a street, and I looked in a building, and there were probably, I'm guessing, 75, 100 men inside, and they're playing dominoes and cards and drinking tea. And it's, it's a guy's, it's you know, what we call a liar's club back home. They sit in there and just tell lies and stories and, 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 and yeah, and, you know, just go on and on. And uh, as we walked past and we were kind of going up a hill, I thought we ought to go back there. And I thought, no, we're not going to go back there. We walked a little further, and I thought, we need to go back there. And I thought, we're not going back there. We're going to get this walk over with. We're going to keep going. (laughs) And uh, we're probably, I'm guessing, 40, 50 yards now past it. And it's as though my chest was going to explode. I mean, I, I can't describe it to you. And it was like, stop and go back there right now. And I, being the submissive, compliant person I am, said, no, we're going to keep going. And at that point, it was like, if you think this is loud now, you just wait. So I said, hey, Jim, I think we need to go back. And did Jim question me? No. He looked at me and said, men, we're going back. And we walked back down the hill. I'd say five or six gentlemen came out. They spoke no English. So you try to communicate. Another gentleman walked out and spoke perfect English. And he asked, do you speak English? (laughs) And it was, yes, I do. (laughs) So we shared, and about 25, 30 men came out. We had prayer, and they invited us in for tea. And we went in and had tea, and we all spread out and uh, enjoyed them for 20, 25 minutes. I actually bought a round of tea, which was kind of fun. And, uh, and then in the end, Jim asked if he could pray for the whole room. And here's the things about the Kurds that you need to know. They're not looking for a handout. These are people that want to work. These are people that want to go back to their cities and to their homes. These were successful people. These are doctors, lawyers, educators that have the clothes on their back right now. So they weren't looking at us of what can you give me as much as give me the tools so I can get myself back. So when we asked, Jim asked to pray, the room was loud. And the guy said, yeah. And I thought, well, this ought to be interesting to hear how he quiets the room. And he wasn't speaking any louder than I am right now. And he said something in Arabic and half the room got quiet. And another gentleman said something quietly. And I would say in less than six seconds, the whole room was dead quiet. 
And then it was, he wants to pray. Everybody stood up and bowed their head. Now you talk about God setting a table. Now, Jim's prayer was average. I probably would have done a little better. But, you know, the Holy Spirit can work despite our imperfections. And so at the end, it was photo op time. So it was five, ten minutes of everybody getting their picture taken. And as we walked out, an old man grabbed my arm and said, Thank you for praying. And to me, that was the whole moment. And as I walked out of that building, I thought, boy, am I glad I listened to that wee little voice inside. And that was a great day for me. That would be what we would call a, uh, yeah, praise God. It's a Kairos moment um, that God had given us. Brian, you were on this trip too. What's a moment that stuck out for you? Yeah, one evening we had the chance to go into three different apartment complexes and uh, be able to speak with several different families that had been displaced. And uh, so we had, to, we had the opportunity to sit down and spend a little bit of time with each family and hear a little bit about their story. And, and so we're sitting in a room with two families, children, and a grandfather, and they're explaining the story of, of how they came to Rabiel. And it was, a, it was something that we repetitively heard as we were over there, was that um, they were in their home, and ISIS came. And you know, when I originally thought of refugees, my, my initial thought was that they were poor, and that they were, you know, they were homeless, and they were, you know, everything that I think of here in the United States. But the one thing that I learned was, was like Sam said, was that they were doctors and lawyers and, and people. And, uh, you know, so for in this particular scenario, there was a, a woman and she started to weep as soon as we, we walked in. And we sat down and, and she had explained and her husband explained that uh, they owned a mechanic shop in a town where ISIS had come in. And that uh, they had a middle class house and the, the grandfather lived with them, and that ISIS had come in and asked them if they were Christian. And they said yes. And so they told them to go, and they booted them out of the house. And so they, they made the trek, and they walked their families across the land in order to get to Erbil. And it wasn't a short trip. It was, it was several days of walking and, and spending time together to get to Erbil. And as they're there... Um, they get notice that someone had come in, the ISIS had come in and torn apart their whole mechanic shop. Everything that he had worked for his entire life had been destroyed and taken away from him. And he did it because he was a Christian. He said, I was Christian. He would have had the opportunity to say, you know something? No, I'll convert. But he stuck to his faith and you know, he, he lost all of his earthly possessions. So on the back end of that, the house that they lived in, ISIS actually moved into the house. They marked it with the, uh, with the N, the Arabic N, which stands for Nazarene. And then the American military, when they attacked that village, uh, the American military actually bombed that house and took out the ISIS in that house. So he has lost physically everything. And to see this man weep. The Iraqi men, you know, we've talked about it, are a little, they're stoic. Um, they, have a, they have a pretty good face on, but this man wept. And you could just feel the brokenness in his heart because he didn't know where he was going to go next. And the beautiful part about it was, was we had the chance to say, you know something, there is absolutely a church that's 6,500 miles away that loves you, that's here for you. They sent us here. They gave us money. They gave us resources. They gave us the tools that it takes to empower you and put you back in, in a place where you can prosper. You know, and, and just the opportunity to preach the gospel and be able to speak to this man and let him know that God loves him and that Grace Community Church stepped up and loved him and his family. 
Uh, we, you've read the stories. They're true. You've saw the, the CNN broadcast. There is an evil group that are killing Christians in a brutal way. Yes, heads are being lopped off. Yes, family members are being killed. It's not fake. We heard the stories. We felt the pain. We touched the people who gave up everything because they wouldn't deny the name of Jesus Christ. We saw faith lived out in front of us, and our faith has been emboldened in a fresh way as a result of that. And so our contacts were people who understood what it means to stand up in the face of adversity and say, I will always love Jesus Christ and not deny that. And so we all have stories, and Jeff, you have a story you shared in the first service. I think it's worth repeating. I get to tell the same story again. Um, you know, this is, this is eight stories that you guys are going to hear of literally hundreds and hundreds of stories. Uh, from the minute the door opened on the airplane, um, every second of our trip was, was God-appointed. Um, you know, when the door opened and the, the heat and the sand hit you in the face and... Uh, you look out into a black night because it's 3.45 in the morning, um, and you have no idea what's on the other side of that door. Um, it's a God moment. <laughs> um, uh, my first real realization of how much God was laying before us actually happened in the first day. Uh, we hooked up with a team called Crisis Response International, uh, who is doing medical work there, um, a, a lot with the refugees, but also with the uh, Peshmerga, who is the uh, Kurdish military. Um, we were going to a uh, church service on Wednesday, the first day uh, in country, and uh, stopped by the uh, cry house to uh, uh, talk to the guys for a minute, and two of their guys came literally running up to the van, um, slung the door open and said, hey, we just got a... Uh, a hot call of a wounded soldier uh, who needs help. Um, can you guys come? And uh, Rick and I uh, grabbed our gear and and bailed out of the van and and crawled into theirs. And you know we uh, we spent several hours working through the city um, trying to get to uh, kind of going through an interview process more or less <laughs> to get to the place where this guy was. Um, turned out the gentleman was a uh, two-star general in the uh, Kurdish military, and he had been wounded two days prior in a, uh, um, in a vehicle IED in, uh, on the front lines. And uh, Rick treated him, um, cleaned up a little bit of a wound, uh, actually was uh, kind of a minor procedure. Uh, but what happened after that was really when God opened the door. Um, here we were, six Americans um, in Iraq, and we were given the opportunity to stand in the room with two-star generals, uh, Kurdish military intelligence, uh, government leaders, and their staff, and we had the chance to pray with them, um, standing in a circle. Um, these were men that, uh, you know, three months ago wouldn't have even stopped their car to roll down the window. So uh, we prayed, and uh, the soldiers in the room would shake your hand, and they'd pat their chest, and they'd bow their head and thank you. As you can tell, uh, this is real for us. <laughs> But for these guys, um, these are hardened warriors. These are guys that have fought for 50 years. And for them to open their home, not just stop and talk to us, they invited us into their house, uh, shared tea, um, and allowed us to pray with them was just an unreal moment. Um, we got back in the van, and uh, somebody asked us how long we'd been in country. You know, standard small talk. Rick looked at me and said, has it been two or three days? I said, dude, it's been 18 hours. <laughs> uh, 
you know, and that's kind of the way the rest of the trip went for us. It was literally one God appointed moment to the next. And, uh, in, in some cases running from one God appointed moment to the next. Um, so that was kind of my God moment right out of the gate. You know, uh, it was obvious, uh, in a country that's full of, uh, Kurdish, Yazidis, uh, Iraqi people, eight white Americans stick out. Um, and we did stick out. Most other relief organizations fled the country when ISIS came in. Most other mission organizations ran. But we as a church, we saw the time to enter <laughs> and take the good news. We had a hotel owner that was an Iraqi um, that didn't speak a whole bunch of English, but he knew that we stayed in his hotel, and he got curious. One of the days we went out because you gave money, and we were able to give $11,000 worth of food to some refugees that were living in temporary housing. That evening when we got back, we went from daylight to, to dark each day serving. We got back, and the hotel owner... He said this, and we're like, how did you find out? We're, we're sure he was connected to the Iraqi mob. We, we were he convinced. was in media. Yeah, and because uh, everywhere we went in that country, eight Americans walking on the streets and almost in file with each other because you had a partner. I covered Andy's back, and he covered my back, and each man had a man covering his back. We were noticed, but he said this. I'll never forget it. When we came back that night, he said, you helped. My people, I help you. And uh, he began trying to get us discounts in every place we went. <laughs> um, it was amazing to watch. Dave, you have a story, too, that you'd like to share. What hit you? First night when we got there, um, they jumped on Jim right away and said, hey, give us a sermon. It was Wednesday. And so Jim was kind of on the spot, but did a great job. And... Uh, <clears throat> that pastor was kind of kind of crazy too because I I couldn't believe anybody could be as dramatic as Jim. As soon as Jim would say something, he was exactly the same way. I mean, so it was really cool. So, <laughs> but at the close of of the service, um, he asked the people if if they had any hurts or if they had any problems or anything that they, they needed prayer for to stand up. And we were all in the front, so we didn't know who was standing up or what was going on. But, and then he looked down at us and in English told us, now go pray for them. And we turned around and there was tons of people standing up everywhere. And so we just, and he goes, pray for them. They may not know what you're saying, but they know you're praying. Pray. And so we started praying for all these people. And I went through four or five different people that I prayed for. And I turned around, and this woman's eyes met mine, and she's pointing to her daughter like this, saying, pray for me. So I went, and I went over and prayed for her. All I could think of, that was, that was kind of my surreal moment. That was when I thought, man, my daughter. You know, my, all these people have so much hurt. And they just need you, Jesus. And because you gave, we were able to go. We were able to do that. That's it. We took photos while we were there. Um, and this is a short snapshot of that. To us, we could freeze frame every photo and tell you thousands of stories. Um, we'd probably weep through every photo. But there's also a song that meant a lot to us while we were there. And... It's Chris Tomlin's song, Our God. If God is for you, who can stand against us? And so we walked in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, protected by the angels that stand guard with the prayers of the saints holding up our arms. And here's a snapshot of what it was like for us.
We must do something. The mission hasn't been fully accomplished. God wanted us to go on the land and give a report. It doesn't stop here. The mission continues. And we need you to continue that mission. We can be the hope of the world. We can be the hope of a world to a group of people who desperately need hope. Once you've sat with someone who has witnessed a family member brutally killed, 
you're never the same again. This is our time for the church to shine. Every time there's been a great movement of God in history, every single time when there's been great revival, every single time you look in the New Testament and witness a great move of God, it's because the believers have been persecuted. And from the ashes of persecution, a church can rise. Hope can come. Love can be sent. And the bride of Christ can stand above the ashes and turn it into God's glory. Each man and woman here at Grace in this community represents the spirit and DNA of a man that we met there, Pastor Maloth, who is on the ground, who once lived in Baghdad, went to Korea to be trained, has a Master of Divinity degree, and he is now in her bill wanting to reach these refugees. A, a pastor and wife who hasn't had a day off since June. A man that, that carries the DNA and the courage and the boldness of Jesus Christ. If you put him in our group, you would say, he's grace community. And by God's foreknowledge and, and God's understanding of this mission, he united us out of all the pastors in Iraq with a man that is us, who understands that souls are lost and people need reached, who wants to see his people Brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. Paul said it best. And there was a moment for each man and, and in each wife and each child that, that took this verse that Paul said best in Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We individually stood in a circle and knew that if we die... It's gain because we must take the mission of Jesus to a world that needs it desperately. Yes, we had naysayers. Yes, people said you shouldn't go. Yes, they said we were stupid and crazy. But so be it, God sent us. We said our goodbyes to women, to wives, to children who understood the gravity of the mission, but looked us in our faces and stood in agreement and said, so go and be the light of the world. We stand with you. I praise God for women and wives and my family and my children and the children who went with us and who carried us. I'll never forget the last moment we had, and all of us gathered, and, and we prayed over our families, when my 22-year-old son grabbed me by the shoulders, tears streaming down his face, and grabbed a hold of me before I left. He said, Dad, look at me. I will take care of Mom. I will take care of Hannah. I will take care of Isaiah. You go. We felt your prayers. We were ambassadors. We're no different than you. We carried the same courage, the same commitment, the same faithfulness that you give. We walked the streets. We purchased thousands of dollars worth of food. We bought bread and water. We delivered envelopes full of $80 cash to, to homeless people. We drove through a war zone and through five checkpoints. We left enough money behind to get six condos for refugees. We left hundreds of dollars for broken people and broken homes. We encouraged a pastor because you gave, who hasn't had a day off since June. We sipped tea with people we never even witnessed or seen before because you gave. We purchased medical supplies and helped troops on the front lines because you gave. We cared for expenses of other broken people because you gave. We worship with people in a language we didn't understand, but it was the same God. We gave and we gave because you gave and you gave. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says it best. Don't turn there, just listen. In the midst of a series where we're supposed to light it up, John said this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
And we, Grace Community, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters in Iraq. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then John said this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This passage compelled you to give and for us to go. And the mission isn't complete. The mission must continue. And so we are going to link arms. We are going to continue this mission. We do believe that a church can be planted. And out of the ashes... The glory of God can be revealed in a bright way in a very dark place. Let me tell you one story of God's grace. Let me tell you a story of God's foreknowledge from the foundation of the world for an appointed time for a carpe kairos kind of moment after we delivered food. We're in this temporary housing for refugees. There's room after room after room after room after room. And Pastor Merlot said, Jim, would you go with me? Would you like to visit with one of these families? And I said, absolutely. Because you gave, because you sacrificed, we were able to purchase food. And that was an invite because they knew that we gave. And so they were ready to listen. And I walked into this room and in front of me, were these Iraqi men and this family. And to the right of me was this baby, just a small baby. We have a portrait of that, just a baby that was four days old. And the family had traveled because ISIS had pushed them out. And there she lay on the floor. And the father of this baby looked at me in a moment that only can be what I would call a divine moment. In a moment that could only be a God-ordained moment. In a moment that could only be God. This father looked at me and said, My baby is four days old. I believe I want you, Pastor Jim, to give my baby girl a name. So I'm seated in this room and thinking, God, you're up to something. <laughs> And immediately the Holy Spirit gave me the name. It was simple. I looked at this father and I said, I have the name for your daughter. I think your daughter's name should be Grace. And then I explained what Grace meant. I mean, you talk about a setup for the gospel? I explained that by grace you are saved. I explained about the grace that God gave. I explained about a church called Grace. And I shared the gospel, and I'll never forget these guys around me will witness too. This Iraqi, who, who was the, the, the grandfather in the room, who was in his traditional wear, who, who was attentively listened. I looked and said to Pastor Malat, tell them, just tell them, that Jesus loves them. That Jesus loves them. In a moment that none of us will forget, that's wrapped in time, this Iraqi man who never shows emotion began to weep. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates hard hearts. Here's what I know about the church. Here's what I why I believe the church is primed, is poised to continue this mission. Because my Bible and your Bible says the gates of hell can't prevail against it. We have a chance, if you join in, to continue this mission. We have a chance to take these displaced refugees. These, these refugees who are in temporary housing and schools who in two weeks will be shoved out on the streets again. These refugees who are in tents. These refugees that have winter coming. These refugees who are doctors and lawyers and teachers and, and middle class people who don't know what's next, who have no hope. We have a chance 
as a church and a community and a brother and sister in Christ to give them dignity back, to give them temporary housing, to put them in a place that they can go home and maybe even resettle there. We have an opportunity to, to purchase condos that would gather these refugees and literally a church could be planted in the midst of chaos. We have a pastor who said, I can hardly wait to plant a church there. We have an opportunity to plant a church and condos, but it will require us to do that. So what will it take? What is the next step? It's simple. I'll do some math for you. Take a look at this graph behind me, this chart. At $500 a month, we can purchase a condo a concrete wall, concrete floor with a sink and maybe a table and a mattress, a place where maybe two families can move into. And if we did that $500 a month, $10,000 for 20 condos at six months, $60,000. In order to, to set up these apartments, to put food into them, and to put a, a, a stove and refrigerator, maybe an air conditioner or a heater, for another $2,000 times 20 units, $40,000. And to put up what we would call a campus pastor who has already, who's already retreated or moved out of Baghdad and Mosul into Erbil to level these people and manage them and care for them and study with them. For $1,000 a month for six months, we can plant a man of God in the trenches and glory can come from the ashes. For estimated total of $106,000. But here's the good news. Because you already gave. We were able to walk into Pastor Malas' office and say, you know what? We have this many resources. This much money to go ahead and open up six condominiums. And make one of those condos this place for this campus uh, pastor and this manager. And five other rooms. We handed them enough money. And when we left in the 11th hour, literally, we handed them cash so he could go and pull people from out from under trees, out from under tents, and out from under to give them dignity to get back on their feet. So in order for this to continue... It'll require three more months, do the math, 9,000 more. For $115,000, we can bring hope. We can bring dignity and a chance for these people to grow. A chance for a church to be planted. But it will take us, and this is our chance to do something special. If not us, seriously, then who? Will the government? Will the UN? No, the bride of Christ should be the hope of the world. Every once in a while, God gives his church what I call divine moments to plant the gospel in the hearts of people in a powerful way. We believe this is the moment. Your elders have unanimously agreed with this forward motion and this plan to continue. We believe that we are the people to do that. We believe this is the time to act quickly. We believe that the bride of Jesus Christ can shine in a great way and Jesus can get greater glory. We believe this is why he created us. We believe we can be a strong, united, unstoppable force pushing back the gates of hell. Anybody agree with that? We believe. We believe that we can take that ground that the enemy and ISIS has stolen and say, oh, no, you don't, not on my watch. We believe we must act now. We can't shut our eyes to the cries of our poor, persecuted, and displaced brothers and sisters. So, what does that mean? It means we all join in. We all continue this mission, and we give we sacrifice. We unite as a community. We unite as churches. We unite as brothers and sisters. And we become the church that stands in the ashes and says, Oh no, no more ashes. God's glory is going to surface from these ashes. So, in a few weeks, you will hear us and we'll have an opportunity to give because we got to act quickly. We're the richest group of people on planet 
earth. This is our chance to love our brothers and sisters. And not only love our brothers and sisters, but for that church plant to reach all the people in those condos and take the gospel and evangelize that community and see Muslims run to Jesus. So Lord, we pray that this mission will continue. We pray, God, that you will stir our hearts, God. And that here in a few weeks, God, we will see enough resources to plant 26 condos minimum. God, I believe for more. God, you tell us you can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And I tell you what, I got quite an imagination, Jesus. I know my people. I know my church. I know this community. I pray, God, we give big. We dig deep. And we rescue and we rescue. And then you rescue with the gospel of salvation. Move us, God. Challenge our hearts. In the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.